You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. When I, we had our first Sunday not here with COVID, March 14th or 15th, 2020, I went for a walk when service would have began. And about halfway through that walk, I, I like, if you saw me, somebody probably would have thought like I had COVID because I was weeping, just weeping. And what happened was, I thought there was something I'd never see again. I had this, I had this little thing that whenever we would have altar calls over the last five years, I'd pray with people and then I'd go to the back of the room or maybe up to the balcony and I would just watch you worship at the altar. And I had this thought. It just brought such warmth to my life to watch the church worship Jesus. It blesses a pastor when we labor so hard, so long. And I just thought, oh my gosh, like, what if, what if I don't get to see that again? And so just now I prayed for people up the aisle, and I went out, and I came through the center doors and stopped, and I was just like, oh my gosh. I really needed to see that today, to stand back there again and watch you worship Jesus. Right? Knowing that, like, even a couple years of darkness can't stop the church ever, no matter what. And I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to offer to you as a gift. Some of you are carrying things that you used to see that you haven't seen in a long time. And the Holy Spirit wants me to tell you that you're going to see them again. You're going to see it again. There's a feeling you had that you haven't felt. You're going to feel it again. There's a memory that you thought you might never experience again. You're going to. And I just think it's so vital that the church stands in the darkness like this. Because you never know when that day is going to be. But it's going to happen. So what I want to do is there's something very different that I want to share with you. We're not going to dismiss the kids because I want them to be... Once you declare that a moment is holy, you keep everybody in the room who's there. It's important that our children can sense the shift from normal Sunday, which is holy, and then a declaration that we're standing on holy ground. So we're going to keep everybody here. We're not going to dismiss everybody. If you can find your seat right now, I'm just going to share three short points with you. And then we're going to come to the Lord's table. Hello, hello, hello. There we go. If Eric Davis would come up, yes. And read from Luke chapter 18 for us, please. A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And so Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And he said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect? who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, 
Will he find faith on earth? The word of the Lord. Jesus tells a parable that we ought to pray. Hello. Let's rebuke that microphone in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We ought to pray persistently that we don't lose heart. And in the parable, the woman says to the judge, I have an adversary, and I need justice over this adversary. And there are hundreds of things that we could talk about in this parable. There's a few that were brought to mind as Stephanie was prophetically ministering this morning. And I just want to tell you, it was so nice to be away with my family on vacation last week and know that this church doesn't lose a thing when I'm not in the building. I want you to know I know that. Steve did a wonderful job last week. Thank you. Stephanie and John called last night and said, Pastor, this is kind of what's rummaging through our heart. And I said, it's what I'm preaching on. And so you're in the right space. And I want you to know it's good to have worship leaders who are, A, called by God to be doing what they're doing, John and Stephanie, who are up at 9 o'clock at night at their piano praying for you. If you don't feel like anybody's praying for you, John and Stephanie are praying for you. I just want you to know that. With a baby in the house, praying for you. And it's reassuring to me to know when you battle, is this what you gave me to say? To have your worship leader call you at 8, 9 o'clock and say, this is what the Lord's talking to us about. And it's what you are going to talk to the church about. We need those moments. They sustain us. The moments when heaven meets earth like that and confirms that you're not crazy, we need those moments. We have to have those moments. In the past, I was taught that whenever your worship leader calls you on Saturday evening, it's usually not good. John and Steph have changed that narrative forever. When they call me on Saturday night, I'm wondering, oh my gosh, am I going to have to change my whole sermon around because the Lord told Stephanie what we're really supposed to talk about today. Jesus says you ought to pray that you not lose heart. And I love what he doesn't say. You ought to pray that God would give you everything you want. That's not what he says. You ought to pray that you would get through this circumstance. That's not what he says. You ought to pray that you'll have a breakthrough. That's not what he says. You ought to pray that you don't lose heart. How desperately we need that kind of prayer right now. That kind of prayer that helps us not lose heart. And so this widow goes to a judge and says, I have an adversary and I need justice. And the judge, who doesn't fear God and doesn't fear man, ignores her until she bothers him. And once he's bothered, he does for her what she's asking so that she wouldn't come back. And somehow we've been taught that we need to approach God that way, that we need to bother God into doing something for us. We've missed the parable. It shot over our head entirely. Jesus is saying, here's why you don't ever have to lose heart when you pray, because God is not like this judge. 
you don't need to try to get the attention of a God who's had you as the apple of his eye before you even took a breath. Who knows what you're going to say before you say it, so the only reason he wants you praying is so that he can hear your voice. I know what you need before you ask. So why come pray? Because he loves to hear your voice. The information he already knows. The face he loves to see in prayer. Know that to be true about you. That what God is looking for isn't for you to beat down his door because it's open to you. It's that he longs to see your face. I told the worship team before service began, it just hit me differently this morning when I was praying in my office before church that before Jesus offered us the Last Supper, he said, I've longed to eat this meal with you. And I thought about that, how we impressed him when we showed up. We are the people that Jesus hopes to be able to see. Think of somebody in your life that you would hope to be able to see. Like, I would hope to be able to meet Daniel Jones if he wins one more game today. That'd be pretty dope. There's people I would like to meet. I would like to meet the coach of the New York Mets to say, what happened? Why would you do that to us? I'd like to meet the coach of the New York Yankees to say, you're about to be where we are. Thank you, Jesus. Listen, I'm a pastor. I just want to soothe the suffering. You know what I mean? It's in me to want to help people who think that they're losing, but Jesus is for them. They don't have to have pride and power and pinstripes. They can have it in Jesus. I don't know. Or I'm just mad. We are the people he wants to meet. He longed to sit with us. We spend our whole life saying, I can't wait to sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb one day when Jesus brings heaven to earth and restores everything. And Jesus is the one saying, I couldn't wait to sit with you. We have to know that. How many people have said, I sit down and I pray and I read and I don't get anything out of it. The soothing reality there is that you don't need to because Jesus gets something out of it every time you sit down. And what he gets out of it is you. He gets you. His delight is in you, not in your understanding of the scriptures. Not in how well you prayed, but that you sat, that you came to him, that you wanted to introduce yourself to him all over again, new every morning. So there's three things that we learn about prayer in this parable. Number one, prayer opens us, persistent prayer opens us to strength. Persistent prayer opens us to strength. Our adversary, this woman said, my adversary, I have an opponent, I have an adversary, I need justice. The adversary that we deal with is the adversary, nope, there you go. The adversary that we deal with is the adversary of losing heart. More than ever these days. When there's any gap between what should be happening and what is happening, we lose heart very fast. 
there was maybe a time where that muscle was able to outlast a few years, maybe for some of you even decades. But these days, when there's a gap between what should be and what is, we lose heart very quickly. Her adversary, we don't know who it was, but I felt the Holy Spirit say for us, for Salem, for right now, the adversary that we need the Lord to defeat is the melting of our courage, the melting of our passion, the melting of our ability to press everything Stephanie was saying this morning. She's a widow. She has no standing in this society whatsoever. She's a dead woman walking. Her voice doesn't mean anything in court. Jesus is very intentional with the fact that he's using a widow here to say, there is no chance she will ever get what she needs. And every time she goes, she doesn't get what she needs. But listen, this is for somebody. Every time she went and left not getting what she needed, something grew in her to say, I'm going to go back. And she went back and again, didn't get what she needed. And when she left, she's like, why do I feel like I have the strength to go back? And she went back and she didn't get what she needed. And when she left, she's like, why am I to wake up this morning wanting to go back again? Because there's something about persistent prayer that grows you as you pursue it. It makes you stronger as you offer it. Even if the prayer is not being answered, the prayer is strengthening you to go back again. Wore the dude down. I'm pretty sure Sophia has this anointing. We'll talk about that in a second. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when you read Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, hear this. Jesus enters the garden where Adam failed, and he begins, and he says, he's sorrowful to the point of death. And he asks us to go with him. He asks Peter, James, and John, say, please come with me. This man has been to mountains by himself, been transfigured by himself, had a conversation with Moses and Elijah by himself, called Lazarus out of a tomb, escaped through crowds. They were trying to throw stones at him, and all of a sudden, one guy hit him right in the head with a stone, and Jesus had disappeared just before the stone got there. And all of a sudden, he's saying, I need you with me. I can't face this one alone. I've been there. I've been in that spot where all the strength I used to have just is nowhere to be found. Fridge is empty for strength. You ever get real hungry and go into your fridge, nothing's in there, and then inexplicably you go back? And still nothing's in there. And then at some point you actually find something that four other times you knew you probably shouldn't have. Like this skim milk whose sell-by date was a week ago, but I got some Cheerios here, right? There's a moment where you're just like, what I, what I need isn't there. It's not in me. And Jesus says to them, my soul is sorrowful to death. He's saying, I think I might die here. Is that where he was called to die? No. Jesus is starting, and I know this is scandalous, and we can talk about the deep theology of it another time, but Jesus has now put on our fallen flesh, and he's sputtering, because we would sputter there. 
and he's feeling the, in his own self all of the weakness that we carry, and he's saying, I can't do this. He's saying what we say. Then he says to the Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass. And God doesn't answer. And Jesus goes back and says, let this cup pass. And God doesn't answer. And Jesus goes back a third time and says, let this cup pass. And now he's sweating blood. He's stressed. He's sputtering. He's asking for his calling to go away. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In John... He says, John's gospel is almost like John just missed everything and said his own thing. In John's gospel, Jesus says, and what should I say about this hour? Lord, save me from it? That's what you said in the other three gospels. But in John's gospel, Jesus says, let's be going. And he says to them, who did you come here to seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, that's me. And what they all do? fell. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he's sweating blood and going back saying, get me out of this. In John, he stands there and looks at the people arresting him and helps them up so that they can arrest him. Because persistent prayer doesn't always get you out of it, but it strengthens you for it. What God will always give you is not the answer to your prayer. What he will always give you is the ability to stand back up again in whatever it is you're facing today. He will always put strength in your legs to stand back up. He will always straighten you up. He will always fix your withered hand, open your eyes, open your mouth, open the deaf ears, call you out of the tomb. Lazarus came out of the tomb only to be threatened by death. Which is like, if you're the Pharisees, it's like, maybe we don't want to threaten Lazarus with death. That could be embarrassing for us. But Lazarus comes out of the tomb facing the same death that put him in there. Because God will always give you the ability to get back up. And listen, over my years here, there are so many of you that I can see right now, many of you watching online, I've watched you get back up again my whole life. I've watched you get back up in the middle of sickness, in the middle of financial issues, in the middle of marital issues, in the middle of issues with your children, dire ones, fatal ones sometimes. I've watched you get back up again. I'm here because I've watched people get back up again. I'm here because there's a persistent widow in my life, and her name is Sandy Zralowski, who never stopped praying for me and Ian. It's why we're both here right now. Relentless. Don't tell me what you're doing. Just know that I'm praying for you. That's what Sandy used to say. Very wise. Very wise. Where in the world would Jesus get this idea of a persistent widow from? Where would Jesus ever get the idea to be buried under stress in a garden, inches away from walking away from his calling? Where would he get the idea to say, be it unto me according to thy word. Somebody said it. Where would Jesus get the idea of a woman who lost a husband but is yet relentlessly interceding? Where would Jesus get the idea of a person 
who in the face of sheer impossibility and rejection could say, be it unto me according to thy word, his mom. It's very possible he told this parable about her. I know a widow who has never stopped and will never stop interceding for this world, interceding so much that even unjust judges will say, fine, fine. In whose spirit were the words, be it unto me according to thy word, and 30 some odd years later, her son buried in a garden, almost ready to go the way of Adam, finds it in himself to say, not my will, but thy will be done. He heard it his whole life. In the same way that Moses' mother got to raise him for three months, Mary got to raise Jesus for longer than that. And out of him comes the prayers of his mom. The woman who sings, prays, prophesies, holds the tension of the piercings in her soul, ponders them inside of herself. You know, sometimes persistent prayer is talking to God. Sometimes persistent prayer is holding your tongue and just letting the grind sit inside you and just bringing it before God silently. Maybe something like groans too deep for words. Silent at the cross. Which is maybe one of the greatest prayers Mary has ever prayed was the word she didn't say on Good Friday. My mom is ready to hurt somebody if they disagree with one of my sermons. If I was Jesus, the passion would have lasted eight seconds. You get away from him right now. You will feel the wrath of this Irish-Italian woman. Mary just sits there quietly the whole time. That's prayer. That's persistent prayer. That's intercession, the likes of which most of us don't want to have to be in a position to need, but would be wonderfully grateful to have it if the time came. And somehow Jesus is silent before Pontius Pilate. Where'd he get it from? A persistent prayer is where he got it from. Somebody who doesn't stop praying. It's a gift that not only God is giving to you, but a gift that you can give to your children. Is the ability to just not stop. To show our kids that the greatest thing isn't getting what we want, it's being able to stand up in the midst of what we never wanted and still have faith. God is not like this judge, and that's why we don't lose heart. He's not like this judge because we don't have to win him over with our persistence. We are won over by the fact that he had our attention before we prayed. This woman had to win the judge over, but God is already so attentive to us, he wins us over. Second, persistent prayer increases our attention span. And I'm not talking about the kind of attention span that I have when I'm preaching. Like, you have no idea how many different thoughts I have while I'm up here. Like, I wonder what Hadley's coloring over there. It's probably nice. She's coloring me? That's very nice. See? Now I forgot everything. 
But here's the thing. In this parable, this woman has to get the attention of the judge. And then obviously we know that Jesus, being a rabbi, he does a classic rabbinical move and he teaches about God through how God is not. Abraham Heschel, one of the world's most famous philosophical rabbis, said that when we say God is love, the only way we can understand what that means is to talk about what love is not to then slowly be able to piece together what love is. So sometimes we have to hear what God is not because we have an easier time understanding that than trying to describe who he is. And so Jesus is saying God is not like a judge who needs you to be persistent and he'll finally answer your prayers when he's annoyed with you. He's not like that. So anyone who's ever felt like something bad is happening in your life because you weren't persistent enough, that is not how this is supposed to be taught. What you should know in those moments is that because your pain is real and because God is persistently going after you, you have strength to get up in your ailment tomorrow. And you always will. You always will until the Lord takes you home have strength to stand up in whatever you're facing. But it increases our attention span. Why? Because what happens if we're the judge and other people in our life need to work too hard to get our attention? We're in Cape Cod this past week. I'm sitting down in the morning reading a fiction book because I was taking a break. And Sophia walks in to the room I'm in And she says, will you take me to the playground? And I said, I closed the book and I said, sure. And she goes, the first ask? That's what she said, the first ask? And I I didn't even want to pursue it because I did not want to know what she was thinking. But I saw on her face and heard in her words the fact that she went in there at 7 to start asking me to take her to the playground, so maybe after lunch, I would take her. Am I the only parent who's alone here? I mean, come on. And when I said yes right away, she was thrown. Now? She wasn't even sure she wanted to go now. She's like, Bluey's on. I don't want to go now. That's Bluey. Anyway, see? See? Tension spans. What I realized there, knowing that this text was coming, is that she has already learned to be like the persistent widow because I always don't give her my attention right away. So she needs to work for my attention in a way that she probably shouldn't have to. And when she got it right away, she was surprised. Her plans changed. Her big plans for the day. I wasn't expecting to go to the playground at 7. There's probably still dew outside. The sliding board's going to be soaking wet. I dried it off. I went down it myself. Dried it right on off for everybody. Who has to work for your attention that shouldn't have to? Who... Need, who comes to you, and let's start with the basics. Who comes to you, says your name, and has to wait 45 more seconds for you to get off your phone? Hold on one second. One second. This is important. I'm working. It's bleacher report. 
Oh, Yankees are up going into the ninth. Surely they'll win. Who has to work for your attention? That's just in our house. That question will devastate us for two months. Who in our own home, in our own life, in our own family, in our own network has to vie for our attention that should not have to work that hard? Do people have to work really, really hard to get you to look up and really see them? Do people know? Does your church know? Do your friends know? Does your family know? Do your coworkers know? Do your employees or employers know that you'll finally do what they want you to do when you get annoyed? Or can we shock them tomorrow by giving them our attention right away and doing what needs to be done, not because we're annoyed and not even because it's right, because we're in love with Jesus who does that all the time. The attention we try... The attention we try to get determines the attention we easily give. So whose attention you're trying to get or the kind of attention you're trying to get or the platforms upon which you're trying to get attention, that will determine the kind of attention we give. So if all the attention I'm trying to get, let's keep poking fun at social media. If the attention I'm trying to get is social media attention, I want everybody to see my cup of coffee. Listen, I had to restrain my ego to not post one picture from Cape Cod on my Instagram account. I'm saying that because I don't know if my wife did, and she's not here right now, and I don't want her to kill me upon my return. John, that Halloween music would have been perfect right now. But there were so many times where the sun was setting, and I had food on the deck, and me and our, our Jacqueline and I and our friends are there, and it's like, I want everybody to know. It re- I had to restrain myself because one of my best friend, Dr. Chris Green, his daughter Zoe, goes to the University of Syracuse, and she's taking, uh, her, her degree is going to be in photojournalism, and she said to us that her professor told her that when you go to an event, you can either be there or take pictures. I said, shut up. I didn't say that. Chris, I didn't say that. You can either be there or you can take pictures. The attention you try to get determines the way you give it. If you're trying to get social media attention, you'll give social media attention. Little tiny likes to get people to move on and scroll past your life. But we look for attention in in, in the wrong relationships. We look for attention in the wrong people. We look for attention from the wrong paths of life. And then we wonder why we have a hard time giving proper attention because the attention you try to get determines the attention you'll give. So here's Jesus saying, give me your attention, not because I'm an egomaniac, because when you give me your attention, I'm able to grace you with the kind of attention you can give to others. Listen, there are some people we don't give attention to because they're part of groups in society that we disagree with their morality. Okay? So that means we give that kind of attention. We will overly give attention to people who we agree with. 
We will underly, if that's a word, give attention to people we don't agree with, and all of a sudden, you have the start of what we call in the business a click. Surrounding yourself with people like you. This is where the isms come from. This is where racism comes from. This is where the patriarchy comes from, misogyny comes from, elitism comes from, ageism comes from, genderism comes from. All the freak out is because all of us only pay attention to people who are like us or these days agree with us. I can't be there if I disagree. The hell you can't. Come on. If Jesus did that, he never would have shown up in this pathetic pastor's life. Sorry I said H-E double hockey sticks in front of the kid. That one's on me. That one's on me. Imagine if I wasn't dramatic. What would we do? Where would we be? Probably home by now. (laughs) We give attention where we feel the most comfortable. And so that means wherever we would feel uncomfortable, we don't give our attention. And then on Sunday, we're like, Lord, give me the grace to get out of the boat. It's like, but you never want to get out of the boat. You just want to say that here. Get out of the boat and hang out from somebody from this little group that you would be embarrassed if people knew were at your house. Don't tell me to get out of the boat and then not hang out with this person. Just saying. We lose heart because one of the ways that we could persistently pray is by breaking into groups of people that normally don't get our attention. That's prayer. That's what Jesus did. It's why they killed him. How dare he eat with people from that group? If I really have Christ's attention, and he really has my attention, then I'm where he is. And he's almost never just with people who agree with him. No one would be in this room if he was only with people who agreed with him. Except Steve Saldana. He'd be there. Connected with this is the final point. Prayer, persistent prayer, wins us over. It doesn't win God over. It wins us over. Being gentle. But if this was a flight, and I was the pilot, I might come on and say, buckle up. A little turbulence coming. Sports is one of my things. We know this. And I have friends that used to watch sports with me all the time. Some don't watch anymore because they say it's gotten too political. Does every end zone in the NFL have to say end racism? Does there have to be 47 LGBTQ plus advertisements when I'm trying to watch a Sunday morning football game? 
do I have to see hashtag Black Lives Matter everywhere I go? Just trying to watch the Giants lose. Here's my question. Are they being so persistent that it's starting to bother you? Because maybe Jesus is in that persistence. And the reason why those groups have to take up so much time, have to get so dramatic, have to sometimes get so out of bounds is because the church isn't listening. Maybe it all wouldn't have to be so loud, colorful, and flamboyant if we listened when we should have. If we cared about people and not their morality for starters. And on and on and on. But if anyone in this room is getting bothered by that persistence, we might have to realize that Jesus is the persistent widow who will pray persistently at us until we finally turn around and listen. Maybe he's the one who's standing at the door and knocking. Or no, first he's the shepherd whose voice we're supposed to hear when he calls. But we don't. So he becomes the God who stands at the door and knocks, but we don't answer. So what does he do next? He shows up in the locked doors because he's persistent and he's going to keep being persistent until the church finally listens, not listens to agree, not listens to assess, listens to the cry of another person who needs justice. If you can't take what you agree with and put it here for a second and care about the human soul in front of you, you, me, we all need healing. Healing. If you feel badgered by X, Y, and Z on TV, you ready? If, if you see these silly political commercials where the... Where the Candidates are like petulant children just firing insults back and forth. You know, Bill Dandriano wants to be a pastor, but he said blah, 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 blah. He's dangerous. And then the, like an X over my face or something. See, you guys don't know. I probably do have ADD, but you have no idea the stuff that I just didn't say. You have no idea. There's burnt rubber smell all up here. But we sit there and say, oh, this is so annoying. All oh, this bothers me. You know what? They wouldn't have to be that way if we listened. But they know that they're appealing to bases that won't listen. They've made up their mind already. The facts don't matter. They're just going to vote red or blue. That's it. That's already done. And so they're getting more and more and more dramatic trying to pierce through the autonomy and the autopilot ways in which we think. You want it to stop? We got to start listening. When somebody knows that they have your ear, they will immediately settle down. When somebody knows you hear them, they will not have to have a rock in their hand. They will not have to be dramatic. They will calm down. When home is starting to get crazy, if one person says, let me just listen. W what is getting us here? It'll settle. But if there's no listening, like Dr. King said, 
He's not promoting this. Hear me. He said, the riot is the voice of the unheard. He's not condoning it, but he's saying this is why it erupts this way. Because if we were heard, the anxiety, the defensiveness, the, the not knowing what could happen to me next would go down. Calm down. There wouldn't have to be so much promotion. There wouldn't have to be, you ready, so much identity rooted in things like gender and sexuality if people were listening properly. I'm going to say this. Throw stones at me, if you will. The church's inability to listen is what has given platform to groups to get as big and loud as they are. If we would have listened better, there's a really good chance that wouldn't be happening. Please understand I'm using a lot of generalities because some of this has so much dignity attached to it that I don't want to, like, dip in, get specific, and not be able to finish a full discussion also or have one. So I'm being general for a reason. But these are the things we have to talk about and converse over, over coffee and pizza and stuff like that downstairs, is how we can listen better. Because listening is part of our persistent prayer. Why? Because Jesus said, those groups you're ignoring, I came to you in those groups. When you ignored them, you ignored me. And when you ignore me, guess what you're not doing? Praying. We have so much control wrapped up in how we feel about different groups and cliques and organizations of people because agreement and togetherness, they're all these tight little compartments. We just need to pop a hole in that balloon and start over. We, as the church, should value the human soul the way that Jesus does. Everything else about the human soul is secondary and tertiary and all the other areas. The human soul needs to be heard. I need to be heard. You need to be heard. Everybody needs to be heard. Our children need to be heard. Why is it, now that I have you, that when a baby cries out in a service, no one in the room thinks that might have been prophetic? But when an adult speaks in the service, we all get quiet. Is it because maybe we don't pay enough attention to the little ones? in ways that we should? I'll tell you this. Here's my repentance to the church. I haven't paid enough attention to our youth ministry as I should have, which is changing very soon, and you're going to hear some announcements coming up soon. But I realize I got convicted by the fact that I haven't paid enough attention to our teens. And a few people in the church, the right way, in a very holy way, approached me about it, and they're right. I needed to hear that. I needed to hear people tell me that because hearing that is how, also how I pray. Because you're the body of, and when you speak to me, that means Christ is speaking to me. So sometimes Jesus tells me things, hey, you're not, don't say that to Jacqueline. It's not going to go well. Other times, people from the church would be like, hey, just curious, what's going on with our youth ministry? Uh nothing. It's on me. I said to both people who met with me, it's on me. So some changes are coming. 
because I realize I'm not giving my attention to the teens of the church the way that I should as a pastor. So to parents of teenagers, first of all, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? And second of all, let's get on board with this because we're going to start paying attention to them. Even if it's only a few of them, we're going to get it right. But that's how we pray also. Prayer is not just telling God what I need. It's also hearing from other people who represent Christ what Christ needs. And if Christ is the least of these, if Christ is an infant when we first meet him, then we ought to pray by listening to their needs as well and respecting their dignity and not thinking that they have a lesser faith than we do. Because I'm pretty sure Jesus is the one who said, to adults, unless your faith becomes like that of children, you can't go to heaven. But somebody please find me the verse where he said to children, unless you become more like adults, you can't go to heaven. I don't think he said it. We need to become more infant-like. Because there's a faith that is so potent in a child that they don't need to choose to activate the faith. It's there because they were just with him a short time ago. Thanks, Steph. Got the whole room all prophetic. Now we're just saying stuff today. Prayer opens strength. It increases our attention span, and it wins us over because Jesus comes to us in groups that have unfortunately been so easy to overlook. He comes to us in the needy. He comes to us in our hurting neighbor. He comes to us in our close friends that don't have enough food. He comes to us in the, in the voice of a person who doesn't have a voice and needs us to give voice. He comes to us in those people so that we can hear him and be won over by him in the voice of a person who needs justice. One more story, and then we will close. I was asked by Josanne, who comes to Salem, to speak at a conference in White Plains, and it was a conference uh, that just centered on uh, social justice, specifically the criminal justice system. And so I went, and they said, you're going to be on a panel with other pastors, and you're not going to have to talk. You're just going to answer questions that people have. I'm like, that's great. So I go there. Now, thank the Lord, I keep my journal with me wherever I go, and I go up onto the panel. I am one of two white guys in the entire room. So here I am sitting now. I'm the minority. And I have one person to my right and three people to my left. And they start with the person on the right, and the moderator says, okay, so we're going to give all of the clergy 10 minutes to share their thoughts. 10 minutes? To share what? I was told that I was going to be asked questions. First guy goes, kills it. He's been working in the system for 50 years and knows this senator and that senator. I th they, like, people, his nickname was like, you know, like Dr. Perfect or something he was saying. And everyone was laughing. And I'm like, why do I have to go after Dr. Perfect? You ready? It came time for me to go. And I said, I spoke for three minutes. And I said this. I said, I wake up every day in a world that's easier for me than it is for most people in this room. And I have privilege, and I have platform. And I want to use that to give the leaders in this room privilege and platform. 
And if there's anything I can do to take what is naturally given to me in unfair quantities and help you have a platform, I'm here to do it. And I apologize for just realizing this in 2020 and not sooner. And the room stood up and clapped. No, listen, 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 listen. The reason why is because in that moment I said, Lord, what do I say? And the Holy Spirit said to me, tell them what you've heard. Don't come up with something clever to say. They don't need to hear from you that way. Tell them that you've heard them. Such a paradigm shift in my life. Such a paradigm shift in my life to say, so much of what we get wrong is because we don't listen. And when people hear that at least you're listening, it changes the way that people feel around you and even in their own body. We have done a better job as a church proper cutting people's ears off in the garden instead of helping heal the ears that have been cut off by other things. Peter, who represents the church, took a sword, which represents the Bible, and cut somebody's ear off because they were arresting Jesus. And we have taken up the mantle of Peter, and we have used the scriptures and moralism to cut off people's ears who we think are rising up against Jesus. And Jesus sometimes isn't with me because he's busy picking up the ears I've cut off. Jesus, where'd you go? He's like, I'm cleaning up all the ears in Gethsemane, guy. We have to listen. We have to be persistent. He will always give you the strength to stand up in whatever you're facing. He will help heal our attention span to hear the voice of others who won't have a voice unless we listen to them. We can do this. This is what it means to be the church, to be like Jesus, and to be willing to get crucified for it. Who's with me? <laughs> Let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Worship team, you can come back up. Now listen, Salem, if we want to be the kind of church that can have a plan and then move in the spirit and kind of lose that plan, we have to do the work at the other end. So here's what's going to happen. We're going to come to the Lord's table today, and then I'm asking all of you to quickly, after you come to the table, go back to your seat, and when the song is done... Ian's going to play the announcements that were supposed to be played. And as soon as those announcements are done and you hear whoever it was, Maddie or Anthony, say, Salem, have a great day, you are welcome to go. But let's listen to the announcements because we have very important things to be involved in. Jacqueline and I are going to be running a small, short conference on a Saturday about the insecurities that we feel in our home and in our personalities when it comes to ministry. This is something we feel everybody needs to be a part of. We've needed to be a part of this. Everybody needs to be a part of this. We have our trunk or treat uh, coming up at the end of the month. And this really, you know, <laughs> you, f you picked the right time. Last time you were playing Beauty and the Beast while we were praying. Play it again. This is how I feel when I wake up next to Jacqueline in the morning. Yeah. Play it again. This is how the Yankees feel about the Indians. The Guardians. I'm sorry, the Guardians. I'll get there. 
One more time. This is how the Baltimore Ravens are going to feel today. Yes. We just listen, just come hang out with us. It'll be fun at the very least on the fifth trunk or treat. Listen, we want, we actually, Jacqueline wants to advertise for this to through the Beacon Mothers uh, Facebook page. And we want people from the community to come out and sort of be embraced by the fact that the church can be holy, but also have a really good time. Yes. And we can just enjoy ourselves and that'll be great. Got the Christmas gala. Men, we need volunteers so that the ladies can be here and eat, drink, and be merry. Amen. So let's get out there. Let's do what Jesus would do. He would be at the gala. He'd host a table and he'd volunteer all at the same time because he's omnipresent. So maybe together we could do that all together. So there's going to be announcements after we come to the table of the Lord. Please don't leave. Sneak out early. Listen to the announcements. Write them down. Say yes to all of them. Sign up for everything. And then and only then will you be free to go. I promise. Let's pray for a moment. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for what we are able to share with each other in your house on a Sunday. Thank you so much for the work that went before us in this house for 70 years to cultivate such an atmosphere of healthy conversation, an atmosphere where we could be confronted, disagreed with, and still work and build together. Thank you, Father God, that we're in a, we're in a family here where we don't have to get everything right all the time. We think the best of each other all the time. Thank you for the fact that we have worship leaders who bring the church to the altar and so we can experience your presence and ushers who open the door so that people can be welcome and volunteers who take care of our children and on and on and on it goes. Thank you that this place is healthy. Thank you that this place is healing. Thank you that this place is still holy because of your presence in it. Thank you that on the night when you were betrayed, you didn't yell at us or accuse us or judge us or cast shade at us or go hang out with people who wouldn't have betrayed you, but you gave thanks on that night and you offered yourself to the ones who were hurting you because that's how you melt the heart of a sinner. It's not by ignoring them and refusing them into your home, but by offering yourself as food for them. By putting bread in front of them, you melted our hearts. You do it every Sunday. So thank you for showing us the way of salvation. Thank you for showing us the way to bring healing to the lives of somebody else. It's not to ostracize them or kick them out or put them on the margins, but to bring them in, bring them to a table, offer them food and fellowship and friendship, and win them over with love and affection. I pray, Father God, Holy Spirit, that you would descend on this bread and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. And I pray that you would descend on us, forgive us of our sins, and make us for the world we're about to meet, the body of Christ, the church, so that we could say, this is my life offered to you. He's been so good to me. We want you, world to not lose heart. We want to offer you the strength to get back up again. We're not offering you a a life where every prayer is answered. We're offering the world a life 
where every trial is met with the strength to face it, is met with the courage to face it, and is met with a community to face it with. So we thank you for this. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Receive this bread and nourish on it in your heart by faith. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.